This evening's Dharma talk is titled, Thought Out Decisions, a decision where we think about it, think about this, think about that, what will happen if we do this, if we do that, what will be the outcome of this, what will be the outcome of that. And you know, we're not saying we shouldn't think. I'm not here to tell you, don't think about what you're going to do next. So don't misunderstand and, and try to approach it a different way. I'm not saying that. My suggestion is is, it, is that you bring as much awareness to any given situation as possible, rather than just jump to some kind of a conclusion based on hope and fear, based on fear, based on hope, uh, that you look at, at anything that is arising in terms of some kind of pro or con, some kind of should I, shouldn't I, should they, should, shouldn't they, and so on, and try to calculate and figure out uh, but I'm not saying that we don't have some uh, evidence for doing things one way or, or another way based on uh, causes and conditions that are arising in any, any given time. That being said, looking for a handkerchief. That being said, it doesn't always work. It doesn't always work so well. So quite often when we put a lot of effort into that, what we do is we 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 condition ourselves to always work with things that way, always try to calculate, figure it out, weighing all the odds, and, we hear, and uh, um, in, in the sense of materialism, in the sense of, uh, in the sense of uh, always working out of some kind of evidence or some kind of, um, this has always been this way, or since this is happening, then that must be happening. I'm not saying you can't do some of that, but it may be a lot better to not do anything. And, and allow the causes and conditions to actually come to some kind of maybe even temporary uh, fruition before you start uh, counting your chickens, so to speak. Before you start out of the desire to get something to be right, to have an accomplishment, to sometimes we, we just want to move too fast. So the idea that I'm trying to, I'm endeavoring uh, to suggest is that you could slow way down and have a willingness to just... Uh, go in circles. If you know you're going in circles, this is not exactly going in circles. People who are really going in circles don't know it. Uh, the people around them do, but if you're really going in circles, you won't know it. If you know you're going in circles, it immediately starts to slow down. You immediately stop fueling the circularity of any given situation. <clears throat> you could, I could probably you know, select anyone here and you could give me examples of how that's maybe shown up in your, in your life. So I'm not trying to get rid of the thinking process or somehow say that's we have to uh, do something besides think. But what I am saying is that you could work with it in such a way that the awareness of any given situation comes out in front of the thought process. So that we begin to, as you, those of you who have listened to the talks I've given, uh, say over and over again, lead with your awareness. If you're leading with your awareness, this is not a, a happy making situation for ego. Ego doesn't like to lead with the awareness. It likes to lead with thinking about this, thinking about that, thinking about should I, shouldn't I, should they, shouldn't they. It fills up the space with all kinds of propaganda about everything, uh, all kinds of half-proof, half-incomplete uh, evidence or whatever. Uh, but if one is, if you're living your life moment by moment with a, a kind of openness about what is happening, about what you're seeing, uh, not only is it more enjoyable, not only is it more dance-like, but also it doesn't throw up a lot of extra debris. 
around your life that makes things more and more complicated. It's very difficult to be uh, around someone who's functioning in this way because they, they want you to function that way. You're willing to just kind of hang out and see what happens and they want you to take charge, do something. Why aren't you doing something based on their ideas, approach? So when we say something is thought out, uh, this is kind of a, uh, what is it? It's not particularly proof that you've been thorough about it. The thoroughness might not have anything at all to do with thinking. It might have to do with seeing all the different things that you can't fundamentally understand what they are as individual parts. You haven't seen the whole situation yet. If you have not seen any whole situation, you're going to see parts. Ego does not like seeing parts, and it will settle for a, a, a whole that is actually a lie. It will settle. It'll settle. It just wants to know. Ego wants security. Uh, ego wants security because, and it doesn't care how it gets it. And it wants security because ego is a lie. Who you are is not a solid, separate self with successes and failures, life and death, and all the other polarity that we just assume is true. So it, it, it'll settle for something that will give it some temporary cover or, su or support. Question? Michael. Can you expand on what you mean by lead with your awareness? I'll try to. Uh, if, if you are leading with your awareness, then from the point of view of how you feel, uh, unless, you're, unless you have some deep understanding around this, unless you've done this for a while and kind of gotten used to being in outer space, uh, the ego mind will be threatened by this. So the self-centered uh, mind doesn't want to lead with its awareness. So if you, but if you're beginning to do that, uh, there is more uh, trepidation about what you're doing. There's more insecurity. Pema Chodron, uh, Tibetan uh, student of uh, Trungpa Rinpoche, and you could say my Dharma sister from that time, wrote a book or a series of talks she gave made into a book called The Wisdom of Insecurity. Yes? What's the difference between insecurity and paranoia? Uh, insecurity is just that. You don't feel very secure, but you're not sure exactly what that's about, whereas paranoia is, a, is something that is... Um, is hyped up and is uh, fueled because uh, to be paranoid actually uh, insecurity is just something that is attendant to being self-centered. Something is, something is threatened. I feel insecure. I feel kind of threatened. But paranoia is where it's really cranked up into uh, many, many layers of thought patterns about uh, something's up, something's trying to get me, something's trying to take me down, something, something, something. Just a whole litany, a whole series, the whole uh, soap opera of ideas around that. And just, uh, you could say in a simple word, a simple way of saying it, just, it's just really, really intense insecurity. It was, it was highly energized. Can we see the basic insecurity in the midst of the paranoia? A little more. Can we see the basic insecurity in the midst of the paranoia? Yes, I think if you have a practice that is about, what, being aware, this is a practice about being aware. So we sit down, hold still, we practice being aware of whatever is moving. Thought patterns come and go, memories come and go, um, daydreams come and go. In this particular way of teaching, uh, I'm not interested in getting you to calm down or be meditative. I don't care if you're ever meditative. That's just some kind of credential. Uh, what is important is to be aware of whatever is occurring, whatever is coming and going. So we have a practice where we hold very still, 
it's much easier for us to witness or be aware of what's coming and going and coming and going. And I often say, don't add. If something moves, don't add to it some other idea about it. Don't add to the movement. <clears throat> I guess in this one, how to pare down the paranoia when it's already ramped up. Don't pare down. No paring down. No, no relative working with that. I'm not saying that you, if you did this spontaneously and tried to work with it in some way to maybe get away from that which is triggering you, but uh, still what is triggering you is not what's being triggered. What's being triggered is your security is being triggered by uh, apparently something else. So there's lots of ways that can work. And I would say less is better. Uh, less moving away from it, less trying to solve it, less wrestling with it, less thinking about it. Until you've really looked at thinking for long periods of time, you're not going to be able to really understand what the difference is between awareness and thinking. It is actually possible to uh, opt for the awareness so the thinking process may be there, but it's, it's over here. It's, you hear it, but you're just present. And the thought process may come up, it may go down, but it's just another thing. It's like birds uh, chirping, noises in the other room, your thoughts are coming and going. But the thoughts don't actually belong to anyone. If you try to get rid of something, then there's some kind of uh, ownership. If you try to ramp something up or justify something, some kind of ownership. If there's an ownership, then there's an owner. If there's an owner, there's an ego. More. Yes, sir. Is there, is there confidence in insecurity? There can be. You don't necessarily have to get rid of insecurity. The kind of confidence we're talking about, <clears throat> I think you're possibly talking about is the unconditional confidence. Is that what you're asking about? The confidence not based on uh, is or isn't success or failure, coming or going, results. Results are, are just a, a misunderstanding of what the world is about. There, there are really no results. How can insecurity and confidence coexist? Can I have a minute to think about it? <laughs> ask me that again. I'm going to ask it the other way around. Ask me the other one. For the first one, last one, last one. First. How can yes. confidence and insecurity coexist? I don't know. They just seem to do it. <laughs> <laughs> they just seem to kind of hang out. You know, it's like just kind of hanging out. Yes, sir. I think I'm unclear with what's being pointed at with that kind of insecurity. I'm wondering if you could say more. It's you feel insecure and you don't mind. You feel insecure and you know it's just uh, the, the nature of being a physical being. It's like you have a stomach ache. You have, have a stomach, it's probably occasionally going to ache. There's nothing wrong. You just drank some bad cocoa. But there's nothing to correct. So just the causes and conditions aren't always about you and your, you know, what you were, if you were doing something right or something wrong. It isn't always that way. Today I made a decision that kind of surprised me. Yeah. Um, didn't seem to come out of the thinking process, but then later the thought process kind of amped up, and I started to worry. Later about, on. Yeah, later yeah. After I started to worry if I made the right choice. Is uh, that just ego kind of kicking in, yeah. or fear? Yeah, there's no way you can make uh, a wrong choice. There's no way you can make a right choice about anything. That's exactly what I'm addressing here. Yeah, don't just. There's no way you can know. I would say that just just come out of your your overall understanding of anything. Something happens. You may have to think about it for a while before you say, well, I really can't do that. Or you may, or you may know immediately. Usually, it's uh, as this is why Trungpa Rinpoche would often say to his students, first thought, best thought. He didn't even mean thinking. He just meant your first, the first thing that comes up for you is probably closest you're going to get to authentic presence. And it might vanish, 
but it, you should you should uh, take hold of that horse when it runs by. You know, now, now. There really is no now. That's just a fancy word for people that live in the past or the future. There is no now. More? Is it important to try to, to look at or see where the, the afterthoughts are coming from or do anything like Don't do anything with them. They're just like, you know, they're just like just running by your doorway. You're just sitting in your lawn chair and just <laughs> running by. If you don't do anything, they don't even know you're there. They're looking for a thinker. Thoughts are always looking for a thinker. Have you noticed? Notice that kind of gleeful look on my face. You notice that? And there, of course, that, that, that image works a little, doesn't work really well, but it, it's not a bad, bad one to consider. Like when your thoughts uh, show up, realize that you can have thoughts without an identity of someone thinking those thoughts. And it's not about getting rid of that. It's just seeing that the, the thinking, the thinker part of the thoughts, I'm going to dig myself a good deep pit here, the thinker part of the thoughts is is just as unreal as the thoughts. Just all you have to do is just be with it. How, however, it shows up, that's just how it is. There, there's no one to validate anything. Nobody gets their card stamped. The thoughts don't get any kind of a approval or disapproval. They also don't get ignored or turned away from or distracted into something else. I mean, the, the talk, the thought-out decisions. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering what's just a, what's a basic decision outside of thoughts. Uh, you just know what to do next, or you don't know what to do next. Same, but feels the same, except in one situation you're doing something, and the next situation you're not. There's no one home. If you think there's someone home, you're going to suffer. The, some, the someone home is going to put themselves through a lot of difficult situations by virtue of feeling like there is someone who can win or lose. Yes? It seems more simple to see that, like how you said there's a thought without a thinker, Maybe if I say that I know something, then there's a kind of knower being imputed. Is the same thing going on with an unknower? A little bit, maybe. It's like, uh, to use uh, Britt's idea there, she made a decision about a job situation. That she just, uh, I'm just saying it the way it sounds, that she just, she just knew that she didn't want to do that. She didn't add up any, and the reason I, I say uh, the, talk, the title of the talk is uh, Thought Out Decisions. It, it doesn't matter how much you think it, out the decision. It still could be a terrible job situation. And it also, you could think it out, and it could work out just fine. And if it does, then you're so glad that you thought it out. But it's, it's like, it's just, it's relative truth. You cannot find the tail of the dinosaur. You cannot find it anywhere. It's because they're extinct, in case you were wondering. I'm sure that makes total sense. I can tell by the expression on everybody's face. Amateur... What do they call those people who study dinosaurs? Anthropologists? But it's, it, and, and I, I don't mean to get kind of a, a romantic about it, like, you just knew, I just knew what to do. I don't mean that kind of, I mean, you, you just know, you just know it. And, and, then, and then afterwards, you may, if you do that, and then you lock down on it, no, I'm not doing that, that's not happening. You go, and then depending on uh, how you work with the information, you could and how you're working with your own spiritual path, you could start to fill that, backfill that with a bunch of ideas. Just leave it, leave it, leave it in an open trench. Don't backfill anything. Just when you do it, it'll be empty of any meaning. It'll be empty of results. It'll be empty of proof. It's empty, 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 empty. No backfilling with, maybe I should have, maybe I should have. Well, if I'd have done this, well, I noticed this happened this way, and that makes me think that maybe I screwed up. 
what if nobody ever offers me another job in my whole life and I have to become a monk? Is being a monk a job? <laughs> we got a couple of monks here. Don't you? In the midst of restructuring the window business, seems like we're doing a lot of thinking about it and researching and toying with this idea of that. How can we approach what feels like a really weighty decision mm -hmm. with awareness? Exactly like you're doing it. It's not about it's not about doing it differently. It's about being very aware of how you're doing it. I participated in a little bit of this, and I think it's going great. I'll let you know if you're doing okay. <laughs> <laughs> and when I say that, I'm saying that to some extent that's true. I mean, it, we might have to go into this a ways and then pull back out of it and then look at it from different uh, perspectives. We, we don't necessarily want to follow somebody else's plan of how to do this. We're going to do it ourselves. We're going to do this our own way with the help of looking at other uh, co-ops. More? just feels difficult. Yeah, I agree. Uh, feeling difficult is not such a bad awareness to have. It might be better to have that kind of an awareness than uh, to have an awareness that everything's just fine, we're just following this plan, we're just going to do it the way we're told, we're just going to follow this formula, and then we don't have to think about it anymore. This formula worked for them, so we're going to use that formula. They don't seem to be able to do that. Questions are good if you have them. Uh, Jim Johnson up in Muskegon, there are two good. people there with him. Uh, he asks, if you have a developed meditation practice, is first thought, best thought, a way to describe acting out of awareness? And then he says, you mentioned it as he was typing. So, hmm. And then secondly, is there a difference between thoughts where one is better than another? So, better than another, it's, it's always relative. So we're not saying that relatively at some point a particular way of doing something might not work okay or be produce results that we're looking for, making a living or having a business, but you can't, you can't be sure of anything. So as a, the title of, uh, that you mentioned to um, a woman over in Kalamazoo, the title of uh, Suzuki Roshi's uh, book that they took a series of his talks, the title of the book is Not Always So. What a, it's just a profound teaching on relative truth. Not always so. You can't find anything. It's always the case. Always the truth. So, and we, ne we never know when something occurs, it may look like a cause and effect situation, but that's a, that's a very, uh, you could say, low level or kind of primitive way of looking at, with, at anything. We have to start somewhere. So, of course, this, we do this, causes that. We put fire under water, it turns into steam. So, we're not saying that those things aren't happening, but there's a lot of other things that are happening that are also dependently risen. That quite often, because we grasp onto one kind of cause and effect, and we so much want to have control of our world that we start to impute or imagine that we have more control than we actually have. And when things go awry, awry, then we tend to blame. Well, it's because I didn't uh, do this. Well, I didn't think of this. Or, or else we'll blame someone else. Well, if they hadn't gotten in the way, or, or if they just kept up their end of the deal, there's no, anytime if you say to anyone, even if they let you down, well, they should have kept up their end of the deal. This is, this is a very incomplete understanding of any, of any situation. And uh, the basic teachings of Buddhism is all dharmas without blame. If you don't understand that, I highly recommend that you contemplate it. And one of the ways you can contemplate it is, uh, is uh, studying the dependent origination. You can go back as far as the teachings of the Buddha. In the Samyutta Nikaya, there's a whole section on dependent origination, supposedly the words of the Buddha. 
But you don't need to do that. You can you can just look at causes and conditions just in your situation. Or you can, you can study them uh, classically in one of the sutras or one of the uh, texts that addresses that. That this is dependent upon that, is dependent upon that, is dependent upon that. There is no solid separate thing. There is no self anywhere. Further questions? Well, if there are no questions, we've got an awful long way to go. Yes? You mentioned how uh, thoughts are like birds outside or... That's a, passing by. Yes. What gives the appearance that they cause something else, like in the sense yeah. of validating your worrying, like, oh, good thing I thought about that, otherwise I wouldn't have seen that. Well, that's a good, that's a good example right there of, of we, we leave what's arising for something else. Anything that's happening instead of just, that's just that. We, we tie it into some other situation. We try to think it out. We add thoughts on Just because we can think doesn't mean you should. I think that's wisdom. I mean, not that I'm all that wise, but just because you can do something doesn't mean you should do it. What? Are we able to cut the link between the thoughts and their apparent results? Why would you want to do that? Why do you want to cut them? It seems like the results are what give them credence. Okay. So there might be some cutting through of that. But I think it's better in terms of awareness practice to just see, see the way they are. They'll cut themselves. They'll separate themselves. They'll show their own uh, separation, which shows their own uh, lack of separation. The fundamental separation that we see is relative truth. Uh, the separation that we see in totality is uh, ultimate truth. To see that everything that is is fundamentally not separate, but it is separated. And that's what fools us. This is why we, we grasp at a self, me, I'm the one who... Uh, did this, didn't do that. I'm the one who gets credit for that. I'm the one who didn't get credit for something that I did. They're giving them credit and it was really, I'm the one who did it. Or, oh, I'm glad they didn't realize that I'm the one who did that. I don't want to get, they're blaming him or her or them. I hope they don't realize that I'm the one that did it. Remember being in fourth grade? So the title of Trunk Mukherjee's book that I, we study every Tuesday night, Cutting Through Spiritual Materialism. So the idea, the idea of cutting through there isn't so much chopping it apart, but it's, it's to see that it, see what spiritual materialism is, to see that we're using spiritual ideas and techniques to uh, kind of get somewhere, to get to some higher place, some higher position of uh, awareness, rather than to see that <laughs> spiritual materialism is, is some kind of a agenda that if we just do this, if we just meditate, we're going to be more clear, more peaceful, more this, more that. So we start to look for those credentials. Whereas the true spiritual path is is just seeing what is true and accept no substitutes for it. Difficult because there's no payoff, there's no reward for that necessarily. It's true. And it's not false. I, I can tell you, I can tell you in, in relative terms when it when it transcends uh, true and false. It goes beyond the relative situation. It's like the idea of saying light, uh, day gets its meaning from night. If you just had day all the time, you, would, you, wouldn't, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't have a name for day. You have a name for day because it has a contrasting area called night. Yet there are two, na two, two names for the same thing, different qualities. If you, if you it's a very simple one, but if you reflect on that, they're both referring to the same thing. So in that example, what is the truth? Not separate. They're not separate. You could even take it so far as to say good and evil. I would, I, would, I, would prefer, I would prefer that one would say uh, clear and confused. Evil is just, is just uh, confusion, intense confusion. 
about what is valuable, what should be saved, what shouldn't be, what should be grasped, what shouldn't be grasped, and how to relate with everything. Confusion, someone who's grap grappling with, wrestling with something. Yes? Often when you bring up something like do this or a don't add, you said you mentioned that you know we can't help but add. Are we able to receive a teaching like that without trying to act on that teaching? I don't know. I can't help but add. But it's not about when I say don't add, I know you can't help that. But if I say don't add, then your awareness will begin to look in that area where you might even say, I'm not really adding. It's like it's like when I say, you can't help but lie. I've had people tell me. Uh, one I remember vividly was teaching in a prison once uh, three or four years ago. Do you remember the fellow at that time? I don't know who it was, but it was uh, he was just saying, well, I don't lie. I said, no way you can function without saying things that aren't necessarily the truth. So he was quite irritated with me, uh, as if I was accusing him of something. But he got quite irritated, so then I said, well, well, maybe maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you, maybe you don't lie. I wasn't quite sure what to do with that, I'm not arguing with him. But, but you, you can't help but, just like you can't help but kill. You're going to kill something. If you're going to live, you're going to kill something. And, and of course, people justify killing by saying, well, I don't kill anything if it has a mother. I don't kill anything unless it has, if it has eyes, I don't kill it. It's okay to uh, kill a, you know, a blind raccoon orphan. Just saying. I know it's not funny. You don't, you don't have to laugh just to make me feel better. So if something has has the properties of a, of a, of a human being or a, of something similar to what we are, then we, we somehow uh, impute something to that. But something that's living is living. If it's living, you're going to have to eat that in order if you're going to live, even if it's uh, cabbage. So the pre that's why uh, the precepts are meant to be observed, not to obey. That, that creates too much of a difficult situation for, for anyone. I'm happy to respond to more questions. Don't you? Earlier you said there are no results. What did you mean by that? <clears throat> well, you could say there are results if, you, if you're imagining that when you get through building something or you get through painting something, you have the result that it's, you finish painting it. So uh, there's results in a very limited way, but we tend to fasten on to those. When we fasten on to results, we tend to see that there's all kinds of things still in motion, things moving all the time. When I say there's no results, I'm saying a very limited area. It's just a way of looking at consciousness to say that nothing really comes to a conclusion. It's always moving. We impute the results to things. We, we actually call this... Uh, if, if you were painting a, a table and someone were watching you do that, they wouldn't necessarily be able to say that well, finally that's done. They would watch you take your bucket of paint over and clean your brush out and <clears throat> put the brush away. Or, or the, I mean, I'm just saying there's such a, a labyrinth of processes going on overlapping each other. It's like if you get your, if you work for years and years and you get your degree in uh, nuclear physics. Or whatever it might be, it's it's really not a result. It's a result in that we we have a big fanfare and we you're presented with your diploma and so on. But it's quite a bit more complicated than that. It's dependently risen. Yes. Uh, another question from Jim up in Muskegon. It seems that why we ruminate over decisions is related to fear of the result. 
Does how we react to the result of a decision affect the quality of the result? It could. Anyone that hasn't asked a question? And William Murray up in Grand Rapids uh, says, potatoes have eyes and corn has ears. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, William. <laughs> I can think of a few more there. I'm going to let him take care of that aspect <laughs> for me. Any yes. So just in considering Junshi's example of um, the window restoration business, looking at yes. reformulating that perhaps. So how would we know if it's the right structure or the most beneficial? Or any of those kinds of either or. I, I don't think you would, you might come to some kind of understanding, talking, and might be some kind of consensus. I, I think it's best not to vote because that that locks out the, all of the unknowns. So I think it's, uh, insofar as we can, have some kind of consensus about it, understanding. If you're on board with something, it's kind of a voting situation. But it's best not to do too much cut and dried but actually, if, if you're having to vote on it, then it means you probably aren't ready to make that decision. The decision should make itself. And when I say that, it should just become obvious that's what you're supposed to do. And if you have someone that's, that doesn't agree with that, then you should turn to them and talk to them and find out about that. Work with that situation. Include that person. Always include. Excluding is, is, is a divisive. It's uh, selfish, meaning selfish wanting to be right, to always include. I mean, uh, um, well, that's, that's what I mean, always include. David? How are the five skandhas involved in thought, thought out thoughts? So the five skandhas, for those of you who don't know, is the five skandhas are form, feeling, perception, concept, consciousness, and those are a traditional way. Uh, and this goes back to the Agamas, to early teachings of the Buddha. The Buddha talked about this a long time ago. <clears throat> The idea of the, the feeling of a self can be broken down into, uh, into parts so that it's easier for us to see how it functions. There's actually two basic parts, the body and then the consciousness. You have the body, which is form, and then you have feeling, which is consciousness. Uh, perception, which is different kinds of consciousness, depending on which one of the, what's, what the whole dynamic is. Form, feeling, perception, concept, or the naming of what is being perceived, and uh, maybe explanations and other uh, things that flow along with that, conceptual structures, full philosophies for that matter, and uh, consciousness. And the consciousness is happening in terms of uh, the six sense fields, including the mind and their objects, including thoughts, including sounds, smells, tastes, touch, so on. That, 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 all of that gets together and uh, and creates a person who is having thoughts. You know, we think that I'm having thoughts. I, what, what have you been thinking about? I don't know. Jason, what have you been thinking about? Cody, what have you been thinking about? Magpie, what have you been thinking about? You guys are a lot of help. Well, I've been thinking thoughts <clears throat> about whatever you guys have been asking me about. And I just think a few thoughts about it. And I think, ah, they want to hear that. I'm going to say that. Yes. Uh, Tegat's in Norway. Um you were all the way over there. Yeah. What time of the day is it in Norway? Uh, I think it's 3 a.m. <laughs> so gets, oh. Go back to bed. <laughs> <laughs> he asks, um, we say things such as, I thought to myself, 
yet, yet we have no self. Who is I? Who is myself? And who is aware of this thinking? It's just awareness just doesn't come together as an identity. So and it's, it's, a very, it's very simple. Uh, you don't have to get rid of something that is unreal. You don't have to get rid of an ego. You don't have to get rid of a self. It's the teachings that are basically saying it is unreal. So therefore, uh, the awareness itself of seeing thoughts come and go and come and go, eventually you, you will look through the awareness practice, you will eventually it'll turn around and start looking for someone who's thinking. You won't find anybody. If, and you may, you may find something, but it won't be, uh, if it's something you find that looks like a self, it'll be discontinuous. It'll be constantly breaking up into different identities. Uh, if someone does too much of that without some kind of an understanding or stabilization, you have schizophrenia, you have the classical definitions of uh, discontinuous identity, uh, um, um, different ways that identity breaks down into parts and takes on different personalities. And so as far, but as far as the skandhas, it's just that, that those get together. It's like if a form, feeling, perception, concept, consciousness, it's just like if they, they grab onto each other's hands and they, they we're all going to get together and be somebody. But if you, if, but in the, in someone who is, as it has been said traditionally, and I'm, not that I made this up, but it seems to work, someone who is realized, who sees no self, who sees there isn't anyone, any, isn't anyone here, then the paranoia just drops away. And if the paranoia comes back up, I can't find someone to be paranoid. We're not saying that causes and conditions in one's karma don't constantly tempt you to go into that. It might. So this is why it's so necessary to do a sitting practice of meditation. So that there's a, there's so much clarity in the awareness that when when you're challenged by your life, when you're going along just fine, it might not be a problem. But something goes haywire in your life, and suddenly uh, you've got panic, and it starts looking for somebody to panic. And uh, that one does not panic because that one no longer operates out of this or out of this, but out of this. You're operating out of this. You don't think. I'm not saying you don't have access to the thinking process. But there's no self doing it. The five skandhas, form, feeling, perception, concept, and consciousness still operate. <clears throat> you still think. You still have words. But they don't group together and hang on to each other and form some kind of a solid being we call a uh, person. Instead, the, it's, uh, it's been said that the, the, the connection between those are snipped. So perception happens all by itself. Concepts happen all by themselves. They don't have the company of the... Of the Six, uh, six sense fields and their objects. They're, they're there, but they don't get together and form some kind of a solidification. Just a way of talking about it. It's difficult to use relative concepts to point to the ultimate. But I can say to you here that you can live uh, both, as it's sometimes been said, with one foot in the absolute and the other foot in the relative. And it causes you no consternation whatsoever. Like my teacher, Tungpur Rinpoche, once said, uh, listening to me is like listening to a dead man. I didn't think that was so funny at the time. I still don't think it's funny. I think it's funny. Michelle? I like that body language. That's something that you know, our friend uh, Phoebe was able to do, right? If you said something that she didn't know the answer to, she could. She had ALS, sweetheart of a woman, and she would just go. <laughs> and she still could shrug pretty well. So we have 9 o'clock. Managed to wiggle around long enough. <laughs> I was ready to just leave early, take a nap. Very good. Thank you so much.
I'd also like to call everybody's attention to the donation boxes that are in the hallway. We also accept online donations through PayPal. We also have a square where we can take your debit and credit card and we still take checks in the mail. May you bear this penetrating to all places so that we and every sentient being together can realize the Buddha's way.